so it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning back in for another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. Uh, and we've had another week, uh, not quite the excitement we had from that first week of international tests. But again, a lot to talk about in these games. Um, we'll go through, obviously, the big ones, Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Africa, Argentina. Have a bit of a look at some of these smaller nations and how they've been faring. And then have a look at the weekend ahead. But let's get straight into it, boys. The Wallabies. What happened? Went down to Ireland, 26-21. to 21. Well, mate, I just think that we didn't bring the same intensity that we had in the first game. And Ireland just seemed to control territory, possession, pretty much everything in that game. I mean, we still scored three tries, but, yeah, it just wasn't enough. We didn't have the control that we had in the first game. And I think we just suffered not having the ball for that long. Yeah, the Ireland game with Sexton at fly halves is, is, is a bit different. But they just kept it very simple. Very few offloads. They just wanted to grind it up, carry the ball. And, and the Australians, when they got their chance with the ball, we did a lot of odd things. And we, we, you know, we're taking quick taps from a position, from a penalty where we could have kicked for a line out down in the 22. And then we made a hash of that, got the ball turned over by the Irish in the first phase. So just kind of rushed counterattack, more, more intent on putting pressure on an attack than really making a good decision, I feel. Yeah, well, it seemed like uh, seemed like really we took a bit of a step back in our defence in our time at Rock, and I don't know whether that's just because the Irish really stepped up here and became a lot more physical, really blowing us off the ball and really stopping us getting any of that sort of front front um, foot ball and any sort of forward momentum. I just hardly feel like I saw the backs get any really good clean ball. It was interesting, actually, at half-time, Australia had better advantage line stats than the Irish. So we were actually making the advantage line more often. And and what you said, Archie, is exactly how I felt at the time. But, I mean, assuming that stat's correct, it was pretty close. But both teams were about 50%. It was 58 to 48%. And when I, I watched this game again late last night, um, just to just after I'd read a few things, I wanted to sort of validate some of that commentary and, and sort of the breakdown after the game. And I don't actually think in our basics – in our you know running the ball and our backline effort, we we weren't that bad, but we do we we'd get the ball from a, like a counter, we'd we'd intercept it, and and the, in the first or second ruck, we'd be flinging the ball out as hard and fast as we could, and we were spilling the ball out the back and and panicking, and we just didn't look like um, we were ready to just hold on to it, take the ground, and and keep possession. Whereas the Irish were looking to you know hit it up, they went to seven plus phases. Um, four times in the first half. They just take the ball up, take the tackle, go to ground, recycle. We were fighting for ground and, and giving them a chance to swarm our ruck and slow it all down. And in the end, the only time we went seven-plus phases was for that first try. And one of the main things as well was just that we were... Like, our set piece was pretty good, but we were just conceding too many penalties and missing too many tackles. And that, I think we really need to make sure our defense is on point because once we get that set like we did in the first game it really lets us build into you know more of an attacking game i think you know we talked about trying the wallabies trying to keep more possession in this game and they just didn't do it and i think it's almost like Ireland didn't allow them to do that but still we were um, making some silly decisions with kicking kicking the ball away when we should probably have been holding on to it knowing that you know, once Ireland was getting that ball back, they were they were making the most of it and, and keeping it quite simple, hitting it up. Look, the first two minutes of this game, we looked great. We looked straight, coming out straight how we finished last week. You know, you had a early line out. Timu suddenly takes a big um, run straight through the middle, puts us on the front foot, and then suddenly uh, phase or two late, later, but Kirtley's cutting through the middle of the Irish line, runs through and scores. And you think, yep, yeah, we're on song here. The boys are coming back. Going to be a repeater last week. We're just going to have that dominance. Then 
Cora Beattie did get a yellow card. Do you think that really stopped our sort of momentum there and really changed things and allowed Ireland to sort of um, readjust and get themselves back set in this game? At the point where Cora Beattie got that yellow card, Ireland had just gone 13 phases in response to our seven and the try. So they were already on a roll. And that, that kind of really stopped, it obviously stopped the game, but it kind of halted their momentum for a moment. But it gave them the chance to to take a penalty. They've got a penalty, they kick for the corner, they set up a line out, they had a mall, and they came off the back and they went to Corabiti's wing. They went straight yeah. to his wing and we didn't have enough people there and they just in the corner. And they threw it wide to the corner. So that's that's smart. That's tactical. And they didn't try anything too fancy. They didn't try a cross field kick with no advantage that went awry. Like that's what it felt like we were doing. Well they scored thirteen points while that in that ten minutes the Corabiti was in the bin. And yeah, you put that compared to what we did while their prop was in the bin for a yellow and we scored zero points, so. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, we can't be blaming this, you know, all on yellow cards. It probably didn't help us in terms of setting a precedent for that fierce defense we saw in game one where they were really coming up with great line speed and making those hits. We just weren't as accurate with our hits. And I think possibly, you know, the impact of Corabiti's yellow card was that we were sitting back a bit more. And once that 10 minutes was up and he was back on the field, we might have actually still fallen into that trap of sitting back a bit too much. Um, but, you know, Ireland got two yellow cards in this game, so it's it's comparable. They had still lost people for up to 14 minutes, I think it was, in total. They were down to 14 men. They just played a smarter game, and I don't think that, you know, we need to change our tactics too much. I think we just need more possession, and I think that will allow us to build some confidence and phases and we can do that. We can score points when we've got the ball, I have no doubt. We can definitely score points when we've got the ball, definitely. And um, I, I still reckon that comes from from carrying the ball up and, and trying to win that advantage, whether it's um, from sort of like a penalty advantage or a, or just a scrum advantage and, and then playing with that. But um, one, one thing I think we... It was different from last week where we felt like we box kicked too much and we didn't really have the chases. The kicking game changed a bit because it got put back more to Kirtley Beal. Um, and what, what did you guys notice with the kicking game? Because I noticed something. I just want to get your thoughts before I um, talk about it. Yeah, so what I thought, uh, the I mean, you're right, we did go back to those box kicks and they've been a little bit, in the media saying that, look, Ireland did a really good job of putting a lot of men in between, like, our wingers or Falau and getting to that ball. The thing I thought was more that there was a bit more inaccuracy in those box kicks because rather than being in that sort of 10-metre channel from the sideline where we want them to sort of come down, they were sort of in the next sort of 10 to 15 metres more closer to middle field. So Falau, rather than being able to run straight up the sideline and get up for those is trying to work his way through towards sort of the centre of the field. And that just put him off, and it just meant there was no contest there. They were able to take the ball cleanly, um, either step forward, take a tackle with people around them, or look look out back to the middle of the field and spread the ball wide and completely go the other side of our defence. Yeah, ding, 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 Archie gets all the points. That is exactly what I was going to talk about. So the, the best example... Throwing the ball back into the 22, Beal's quite deep. He's kicking from, yeah, probably 20 metres infield. Falau's deep on his wing, making sure that the Irish line doesn't know what's going to happen. They're wondering if they're going to run it, they're going to um, kick it out of the 22. And our exits changed dramatically from previous games where where we're trying to exit, put it in touch or, or put it right up the field. Instead, all of a sudden, we're doing our, our bombs with a, with a few chases, and you're exactly right, Arch, that the, the kicks, I, I think, based on the positioning, they must have been inaccurate because they were further infield, which causes Falau to have to run this big arc. And as soon as the... It, it helped the Irish protect the ball because they did throw a lot of players around it. They Falau's running this big wide arc and having to come in for the ball. He's not actually getting there in time, so he's not really in the contest at all. But it's very different to what we've seen previously where Falau has been running off Beal's shoulder and has just come straight through, can can kind of manage his pace as he as he approaches the ball coming down, can leap up and take it. Mm. You can't do that when he's coming from wide and you but you can't have him coming from narrow when you 
initiating those attacking kicks from the 22 because he has to be out on his wing. So the whole structure of it doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why we decided to turn our exits into an attacking move. I think that's a big mistake, and I don't want to see that next week. I just think that we took our success from that in, in game one and thought that we could do the same thing and Ireland wouldn't make those adjustments. And like I talked about last week, Joe Schmidt was going to always make some more adjustments to to ensure that you know Ireland didn't have the same problems. So I think it was a bit unwise perhaps of the player group or, or Checker to think that they could just employ the same tactics and it would work. I know that Flau's a freak in the air and he's probably the best in the world at it, but... You know, you do have to set him up to succeed. You can't just expect him to, you know, dodge three or four players towards midfield and, and still be able to get a clean take on the ball. So, you know, I'm sure they'll change again. I think that Checker will look to... We have to get possession in this next game if we're going to win it. We, we've we been battling with, you know, 40% to 60% possession in both games, and it's just not enough, I think. You know, if we can get that at least to 50-50, if not 55-45, I think we can beat them by 10 to 20 points. I just don't think that Ireland have the firepower to compete with us. But if Ireland control the game like they did in this one, you know, we're just not going to have those opportunities. I actually don't think we need a whole lot more possession to do this. Like the possession stats at the end of the first half were 35-65 and the halftime score was 14-16. to so, like, we, we were right in this, even off two tries. If we're scoring tries, we're, we're actually, you know, moving forward in bigger steps than they were. And we had so many potential opportunities where we could have made, made more of it. Um, but anyway, we, we talked a bit about that. What, in terms of players that I thought had a good game, to, to talk about positives, Rodder and Coleman were massive again. Like, really good contact in defense. They weren't bouncing off tackles like some other players were kind of looked like they were just trying to put their bulk in front of a player but not go down with him. Like they didn't want to lose their feet and they wanted to mm. stay in the line. These guys were putting hits on and making sure they stuck. And Kepu was another one like that. And while I don't usually mention him in this group, I actually think Nick Phipps had a pretty good game and particularly defensively after coming on for Genia, who's now out with a broken arm, we think. Yes. Yeah, he's out for six six weeks or so, isn't he? Which is terrible. Yeah, that's right. Broken wrist, had surgery on Sunday uh, to get that realigned. Off the ball, Keon Healy. That's it. And it's... Was it Keon Healy? Because you can't see on the replay. Prop, yeah, I thought they said it was a prop. I didn't know if yeah. it was Keon Healy because it was off that little trick line-out play where they Same ended up going down the... Carded. Yeah, going down the sort of short side. And you saw... Genia, he's a tough man because he stayed on and was throwing passes afterwards. And then as soon as the whistle went, you just saw him went to grab that wrist and, yeah, yeah ended up coming off. So looks like we'll have, well, we had Phipps for a good sort of 55, 60 minutes in this game. And looks like we'll probably have him starting for next week. He does have really strong defense, cover defense, good intensity in defense generally. Um, he's not as quick at the breakdown. His pass isn't as good. So we're going to suffer probably more in attack than defense. I think Phipps probably has a better defensive game than, than Genia and often he's able to sweep round and cover defense and, and cover some of Falau's inefficiencies sometimes. So, you know, that's someone we're going to be, I guess, at least one game with. We've got Jake Gordon coming to the squad. I think, though, you'll see Joe Powell on the bench. Well, I'm not really sure how much game time they'll give him, but he, he said in in the media that he's very keen to to actually get out there against Ireland. He's got an Irish passport um, as well as his Australian passport, and he's, you know, he'd be thrilled to get an opportunity there. So I have no doubt he would do the job, but I think Phipps will probably see a lot of game time in this one. Yeah, I think you're right that to bring um, Jake Gordon in as much as he'd be my preferred choice, um, as, but over Powell anyways. He hasn't been around the squad and may not be as well um, informed of all the systems. Um, so that I mean that could that could be fine, bit of extra motivation for Powell. Um, guys who I thought were a bit off in this game, I thought Corabidi was quite off in this game. Like not, it's not to do with the the tip tackle. Like that, that's a feature that rarely uh, raises its head in his game. But um, that's just a product of probably quite aggressive defence. But 
there's a couple of times in this game where he was coming across, he was a sort of a midfield defender rather than out on his wing. And he just completely flaked on his alignment to the, to the Irish line. So they, they had a massive midfield break and it was his man. And he just drifted way out, way outside this guy. And the guy ran through a huge hole in the, in between him and his man. So, um, Corby, I thought was a bit off across the field and, and Karevi definitely didn't have a good game. And Beal, Beal had a couple of real turnstiles, like 2010 Beal style, um, which was pretty disappointing. Like he and Karevi both have this habit when they're the second man in of going for a rip on the ball, which I, I, I think I'd rather just see them make the contact, make sure the guy knows they were there, put him on the ground, um, give someone like Pocock a chance to get involved because he had to hang back a lot when these tackles weren't getting the ground quickly. But let's be honest. I mean, are you going to make any changes to that back line? I don't think that we will. Um, Karevi's still for minor question mark, um, particularly when he's attacking games not on. He doesn't bring a lot to the table. Um, but I don't think you're going to see them make a change at this stage. Um, Probably not. Maybe a couple of changes. Tell him to stop throwing those in the weird passes. Yeah, well, he yeah, just Karevi throws it away in contact. Ball. Yeah, he tries yeah. to offload at the wrong time. And, I mean, Tong and Thor's guilty of that as well yeah. um, at times. But I think someone like BPA has been a little bit quiet. And so you may see Tolu Latu come in just because of his on-ball stuff. And also, he's been pretty physical in defense, noticeably probably more than BPA. And also, in attack, he had, has had some good carries as well. So Timu's another one, I think, that... You know, although he had a few more runs in this game, I'm not quite sure if they're going to persevere with him or not. The risk is if you were to bring in someone like Hannigan, you're probably limiting your your ball carriers once again because Hannigan's not the the strongest carrier of the ball. Um, what do you get? Any other guys you think could come in for Timu? I, I, again, like we talked about uh, offline about BPA and Timu maybe not having the best games, and that was something I was watching last night specifically trying to see what they're up to and bpa was involved but he wasn't like he wasn't a really dominant defender he was usually sort of the second guy into a tackle and he did look a little bit heavy footed getting around the field so you could probably you might gain a little bit from bringing in tolu but timu was pretty good aside from a couple of brain snaps where he he went and threw a hand out to knock the ball down, gave away a penalty, and he also came um, came hard off the line and sort of that leading man out, but went to a guy who didn't actually get the ball. So he, he hit a guy off the ball and we got another yeah, penalty. Yeah, dummy for that. runner. So the, well, yeah, I mean the guys were right next to each other and the ball clearly went past and he still just followed through. So that's that's maybe a little bit of discipline, but I I don't think Timu's actually doing too badly. I I think he just needs to, um, you know, just just. Focus inwardly Probably a little bit on his, his decision making. Mm. Yeah, just I, just I just don't want to see him um, kind of going too blindly into into defence. Like he needs to be a bit more in the moment in his. It's like you know when he's making his decisions and and make an effort to pull out of things like that because we just can't afford to give away those little penalties that just gets the ref offside and yeah. Players that did have good games, I agree. I think Tolu came on at halftime. He shored up the scrum a little bit. And he also, him, he's the only other player in that forward pack that apparently knows how to pilfer um, other than David Pocock. Because he's the only other I one mean, who could, getting over the ball. Hooper didn't do it at all in this Hooper game. can do it. I know. He, he doesn't do it much anymore at all. Yeah. And particularly when he plays with Pocock, I think he avoids it even further. I know I know Kepu and CO can both do it. I've seen them do it in mm. games, but they don't they don't seem it to really seem to be happening this game. To it. Yeah. Um Hooper got called off it by the ref a couple of times. He was actually getting chastised in the first half by the ref for I think the ref thought he was trying to milk penalties, so he may have um lost that rapport pretty early with the ref. He doesn't have um good stability over the ball. Like he just his weight is probably more centered towards his upper body, so that it's a lot easier for guys to kind of tip him over. Mm. Whereas Pocock's a lot more solid with his legs over the ball. Like he's just a lot more um I don't know. Yeah, his center of gravity is a bit different. Well, yeah. Pocock yeah, was taking really well, an so. absolute beating from those Irish forwards coming into him over yeah. every ruck. They were obviously knew that he was gonna be there and they were sending three, four people. I don't know if you can call it all sort of legal. They were just sort of diving 
over their own rocket and a few of the times they're completely leaving their feet and things um oh, but they yeah but and they only got they one penalty forward, sort of there um with it so yeah the ref obviously wasn't going to call that up so they just kept doing that early um another player though i think came on had quite a good game played almost half was luke and um he came on and i think added quite a bit in sort of physical physicality when when they were talking about whether Adam Coleman was going to be out or not, um, I would love to see them say maybe he was coming into the second row. But um, it looks like Adam Coleman will be able to play. He has made the made the trip up to Sydney, um, and I think it almost the only problem is that uh, if you take him out, you don't really have anyone to call a line out other than someone like Rob Simmons. Yeah, that's true, and I'd rather have Adam Coleman in there. Um, I've got nothing against Lucan too. I, th- I think he was another one who was like leaning in tack- leaning into tackles and and have, trying to get guys to sort of bump, bump down and 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 not really go to ground with them. But I'm pretty well, glad if- the Coleman's there because I don't want Simmons starting. I want I want that Coleman Rodder combination for the long term yeah. now. After seeing like last night's game particularly, and they were really stand up out of all of, all the players. One of the things that Tui does well is the ability to hold players up in the tackle. And, and make it into a mall. Something that Sam Lousy does really well for the Hurricanes. Um, a few of the Kiwi guys do it quite well. Um, and Ireland used that tactic, I think, if you guys remember, in yeah, what was it, 2011, 2011 yeah, against yeah. us. Yeah. Um, so it's an effective tactic, particularly when people don't see it coming. Whether you, you know, again, would you bring in Tui for Caleb Timo? I don't think so. I'm not sure that's a good balance to the, the back row there, but... I just don't know. I think Checker hopefully can still keep faith in these guys, maybe for another week. I would really be tempted to, to bring in Tolu, but apart from that, I don't know if there'd be any other changes. Um, Coleman, you know, he could start on the bench, but I think you'll see him be very determined to start. And because there's no structural damage to his eye socket, I think you know, he he'll probably end up being start. okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's right, other than the obviously enforced change by uh, Genia. <laughs> Um, getting mm. it to Phipps and yeah. probably see Powell yeah. onto the bench. One, just one last thing. I think there is a, a temptation as well to pa- perhaps bring in Taniela Tupo to start over Kepu. But I think the way that the game is progressing at the moment, bringing in Tong and Thor at the end of the game in the last twenty minutes, thirty minutes, is the best way to use him at the moment. I think if you try and start him for the full game, he probably will get gassed because of the intensity of it. Um, and I think having a, a really stable head like Kepu there from the start does help us. Because if we get a lead and bring on Tong and Thor, he can really come into his own. So hopefully they use him in that way instead of pushing him, you know, straight into the starting lineup this early. Yeah, and it's a really nice thing to have to bring on a guy that you know is a really accomplished scrummager, it seems like, and really will put the pressure on um, as well as in open play is going to definitely make some make some great runs and break some tackles. You you saw what Taj Furlong was doing for the Irish. He went, when he went off, um, he was leading the Irish for run meters. It had like more clean breaks than anyone else. It scored a try. Dude was doing it all, and that's what I think Taniella um, can do for Australia. And I I have no doubts he will be the starting uh, starting tight head come sort of the World Cup next year. I think, but at the moment, I agree. I, I like having him coming off the bench late in games. In terms of Ireland, though, I think there's going to be a few forced changes because of injury. Um, it's been speculated that Dan Levy will be ruled out, perhaps Conway as well with a bit of a bump. Um, and then also you've got Keane Healy, yeah, I think, yeah. that's going to miss the next game. Yeah, So Ireland won't have maybe as strong a team as game two by the looks of it, but they're still going to have most of their key guys there. So. Just having Murray and Sexton just running the show, it's just such a difference there. And, and also Ringrose, I think, made a difference to their midfield. Toby, do you think um, Sean O'Brien will come into the team in any, at any point? Mate, let's just... I've got so much love for Sean O'Brien. I talked about him last week. He's not actually in the squad. I don't know if he's injured or whatever, but <laughs> mate, if you if you call him up, I'm sure he'll be there. Even if he's got a broken leg or something, he'll still play. Maybe you should call he's him up. Maybe he'll come watch the game with you over there in the UK, mate. I'm sure he would. He's a good guy. I'm sure he loves a beer and, you know, he's the, the invitation's there. If anyone has any contacts, send them through to me. <laughs> but you're right. Um, having, having the Murray and Sexton combo, you just saw 
how well they manage this game in all aspects. Connor Murray, typical halfback, but can talk to the ref and exactly had a good relationship with him. And you see, like, as soon as they have a yellow card, everything sort of slows down. Sexton's taking an extra 10 seconds to kick any penalty out or anything like that. You see, even when they have, like, the penalty down on, like, our try line, Connor Murray's standing there talking to the ref, and Sexton's standing three metres in front of him, in front of the Australian defensive line, just waiting there. And it's just sort of holding everything up. And, yeah, they were just... They just knew exactly what to do. And it's something that we see New Zealand teams, we see the Crusaders do. It doesn't seem like we quite have a steady head there. I don't know if it's um, hoop or anything to, to think about this stuff to... I don't know. It's it's tactical play, wasting some time. Yeah, it's it's game management. And as much as I, I think the perception, possibly even in Australian, the Australian public or, or viewers watching this would... If when we see that we get really frustrated, we feel like people are, are cheating a little bit. Like it's a fairly soft form of cheating, but where I think we're probably a little bit tentative to do it because we think it's we, we we might even treat it a bit like it's bad sport. But it's the real the reality is that it's it's game management. You've got ten minutes to get through. Don't don't go and rush the pace of the game because you think that's your style when you're already at a disadvantage. Like you might actually need to adjust. And um, you know, take a little bit of liberty to try and protect yourself because, yeah, we, we, we feel like we might be sort of robbing the the spirit away by by managing the game like that. But everyone else is doing it. The best teams in the world, Ireland, New Zealand, uh, the South African super teams do it. Um, they 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 all know how to slow it down and make sure that that period of disadvantage has as little active rugby in it as possible because that's that's their biggest uh the biggest threat is there yeah as opposed to australia that you have foley taking a quick tap and running off with hooper completely isolated and losing it it's just a complete sort of brain snap yeah terrible when when we had 15 on 14 and they do that and and then it turns over straight away and you just think that could have been a kick in the corner against one less man and that was um was that with a prop off the field? Yeah. That, that was with us, with Corabidi off the field. No, no, no. That, that, was, that was us, 15 versus their 14, after Keon Healy gone off. Mm. Okay. So, this Saturday, Saturday night, um, back in Sydney, Allianz Stadium, what are the tactics you think the Wallabies need to bring to this game? If you're going to kick it up in the air in the bomb for Falau then he needs to be running past the shoulder of the kicker and you need to be doing it when you're further down the field and you've got front football so that the the kicker isn't pressured. Beal kicking bombs out of the 22 under pressure just to clear it uh, and Falau coming from the wing is a complete waste of time. You need to get them drawn in, um, drawn into defence, pull as many of their sweepers and, and back three out of that um, defensive zone and then put the bomb into there when when Beal has time to place it because he's no good when he's rushing it. Aside from that, um, just get the just get the silly silly errors out of it. Like I say, silly errors. It's, it's not the stuff that you can't help, like the odd drop. It's throwing the ball away when you're going to ground and trying to do some um, luck off, you know, fluky offload. Just take it to ground and recycle and make sure you're supporting each other and, and if you're getting a bit isolated come back into the middle of the field where the players are that's what Ireland did and they held possession and they kept us from getting more than 40% and that stopped us scoring points for me I think the key to this next game is it comes back to our defensive intensity and our line speed um, and making those key hits in defence really disrupting Ireland's composure um, because they tend to like to hold on to the ball you know keep it pretty safe in attack for the most part. So we really need to come with, with that pressure on, on those ball carriers and hopefully ma- force them into a few errors so that we can get, you know, those counter-attacking op- opportunities or even just, you know, turning it into a greater share of possession for us because we didn't do that in the second game. It's something we did really well in the first. I think if we can go back to that a little bit, I think that our attacking game will take care of itself. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I'd almost like to, because possession has seemed like quite a big thing, I'd like us almost to put a put a bit of a preference on possession, at least in the first 20 minutes, and just look, even if it means we're 
throwing a couple extra passes and maybe trying to run it out when we're sort of 20, 30 metres away from our own line. Maybe just trying to hold on to the ball and just see how it works. Just for the first sort of 20 minutes, deprive Ireland of the ball as much as possible and just take away a bit of their influence from the game. And I think after that, you can then move back to a bit more territory game. But if you start early and if you hold on to the ball for, you know, 12, 13, 14 minutes of that first 20 minutes, um, it's going to start to push some momentum going your way early. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's move on to a couple of the other games. And we had, uh, before this, the Wallabies game, New Zealand took on France for the second time. An unchanged New Zealand lineup came out. Uh, but we still really haven't seen, other than that first sort of half of the first game, a really full-strength French side versus full-strength New Zealand side because this one was marred early, a red card. Um, in the in the 12th minute of this game to the to the French fullback, Benjamin Fall, after taking out Bowden Barrett in the air, um, allegedly. Yeah, lots of, lots of controversy around this one. And I actually, I forgot to mention this before to you guys when we were chatting, but... He actually did a similar thing, I think, in the first five minutes, went up to contest um, and got it wrong. So, I mean, he did it twice in, in the space of 12 minutes. I think that Angus Gardner, in this situation, was kind of forced into to giving this red card. I initially thought it was the wrong decision. Maybe it should have been a yellow. But I think, I mean, the, the slow motion reviews don't really help things, but... Really, when he comes down like that on his head, basically, I don't think that Angus Gardner had any other choice. Um, and the way that they were discussing it, I mean, they were looking at nearly everything possible there to, to ensure that they were taking everything into consideration. But, in fact, I think, you know, you guys talked about this before offline, that they did miss someone impeding um, that fullback coming in when he was running in. Yeah, it seems like the um, the later replays they went through actually showed Anton Leonard-Brown um, forcing the French fullback to change his line or or be bumped off his line, probably is the better way to put it. So he's that the way when I read an article about this um, post-game, they said he's he's been uh, – so he's released into his run. He's chasing that ball. He's holding a particular line. That line puts him – on, on track to get to the ball but not actually collide with Barrett. Uh, he's got his eyes up the whole time. He gets close to actually making his leap to try and uh, regather the ball. He gets a small knock, which puts him slightly offline. He, leaves, he jumps up, both feet off the ground, eyes on the ball, hands up. And it, in my mind, if you've done all that, to be given a red card, if, if you just look at what, what what is the point of a red card, the red card is to penalise a team and deter certain behaviour or tactics. So what are we trying to deter in that situation if, he, if it seems like he's done just about everything right? Like are we saying that he should take his eyes off the ball and check where the other player is or... Um, to, I, I'm not sure. Like the more we talk about it, the, my position changes a little bit each time but I kind of think if, if you think a guy intrinsically has done everything right and the other you say both the guy from both teams has done everything right then once they both leave the ground leaping for the ball as long as they maintain their focus on the ball the outcome of that contest is kind of out of their hands if they've done everything right they don't know how high the other guy is going to jump they don't know necessarily how um, the guy might throw a leg out and change his balance like what what happens in the air you make it as safe as possible by making sure both guys are going up, um, you know, to contest for it, which keeps everyone sort of, you know, vertical. And and what comes of that? Does a guy deserve a red card if the the um, collision comes off badly for the other guy? I don't know. I don't think you should be penalising people based on the outcomes. I think you should be penalising people based on the potential because the outcomes can be very very different. And and in some in some ways the outcomes are good luck and bad luck one way or another. So in the game it felt kind of fair, but on on review and thinking about it longer, I, I don't know quite where this one sits. I I don't want to I don't want to drive people contesting the ball out of the game. Well, Lee, I see where you're coming from with that, 
but I think from my perspective, I know that they're trying to focus on the conduct leading up to, you know, contesting possession of that ball. Personally, I think they're forced into a position of looking at the whole scheme of things that happened during that play all the way until, for example, in this one, that Bowden Barrett fell onto his head. I don't think that necessarily you should be, you know, deeming the penalty, the severity of that penalty based on how injured a player is or how long he stays on the ground when he gets up, whatever like that. But I think you still do have to take into account the seriousness of him, you know, rotating and then falling directly on his head. I think that has to come into it at some point because, you know, that would probably swing the referee between a yellow and a red. I think in this context, the guy was a little bit unfortunate because of what happened in the lead-up that was perhaps missed by the referees. But I still think there could have been a yellow card there if they'd still recognised that that impact by Leonard Brown onto that player. Yeah, that's probably fair. Like, if you, if you look at it as, you know, the guy's been bumped off, he hasn't, maybe you could say he hasn't changed um, what he was doing like the way he was coming into the contest after being bumped. Like he knows he's been bumped. He can feel it, whether or not he's seen the guys run into. Um, maybe he should have made more of an effort to reassess. But I don't know. The red, the red felt harsh, and and like in retrospect, it felt harsh at the time. Maybe it would. It felt it felt like it killed the game. I don't know if I thought it was a bad decision, but um, and maybe a yellow. Maybe there is room for a yellow and and not a red, and. Yeah, it's, I think when it all boils down to it, it's, you can sort of argue it both ways um, and make make a good point. So um, unfortunate that it happened so early in the game and that it's basically killed killed another contest between two teams that, as Arch said, the first game, first half hour was really competitive and we want to see more of that. We want to, mm. see, we want to see as much of teams challenging the All Blacks as we can. It seems like they're missing their opportunities. Yeah, so, I mean, in my mind... The thing that separates a yellow and a red card is sort of that intent and that ill will. And that's why I wasn't so sure about, like, you could put a red for this. I think the fact that they got this sort of call, which has now been rescinded, and they got that sort of harsh call in the first sort of test, it just makes you feel a little bit like they haven't really been given a good proper chance. But in saying that, we saw a lot from the French team and we saw they didn't fall off like they did uh, last week towards the end. They, they kept in this game. Look, Bowden went off and McKenzie came on at 10 and I think it took a little bit of time for him to settle in for New Zealand to readjust. But really, France was still being competitive. They were holding on to the ball. They had some good possession. Um, their 10 below, below um, actually had a really good sort of game. Really seemed to put them on the front foot and was a bit more attacking. So... I saw some good things from France. It's just a shame that you, it's all with this asterisk of being only 14 men. Yeah, the French 10 was sort of quietly good, like not not flashy, just just like a good kind of settled hand. Like it was, it was interesting because I'd never seen him really before. I'd quite quite liked the amount he injected himself and, and his decision-making, which was good. Um, yeah, I mean, the French are still that, that funny dark horse, a funny disruptive team a bit of a mix where you don't really know if they're going to pull it together or not, but they seem to be, you know, at least um, resilient enough to to put up with these cards. And, and for 14 men for nearly 70 minutes, whatever it was, play through, that was a, a pretty good effort. And hopefully it means that this this week's game with, with a few forced changes to the All Blacks um, might, be, might be quite interesting because I think the All Blacks actually fell off a bit without Barrett. We know McKenzie isn't. Um, a fairly, you know, cookie cutter ten. He's he's definitely a different style of player in that position. I have to see if he can really settle in and and suit their system rather than being that kind of slightly frantic Erratic, kind of yeah. guy from the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, like the, that really unstructured ten that the Chiefs just roll with. Um, whether it'll work for the All Blacks? Yeah, I'm still not convinced by McKenzie there at ten. Um, I think it was good for him to get a bit more time there with Bowden going off straight after this red card. Um, so he nearly got a full game playing 10. But still, I think um, Richie Moong is coming out of the bench this week. Um, so you could see him get his first proper test cap. And they may actually be considering him a little bit more closely if 
McKenzie doesn't really solidify that backup 10 position. I think McKenzie's better with a bit more space, less structure around him in the in the outside backs. But yeah, there's just so much talent in that back three that it's hard to fit him anywhere. So I think they're still trying to to get him to to, to be that kind somewhere. of utility, but more of a mm. yeah wedge him in, but be more kind of that full time backup ten, um, whilst they still have Bowden Barrett around. So in general, I think New Zealand were pretty terrible in this game, um, and I think they'll be pretty d- disappointed in the, their performance. There will be quite a few changes that come in. The ominous sign for France is that. Once New Zealand have a poor performance, as this was, they really tend to fire back pretty quickly. And so although France looked like they bounced back from that red card a little bit and, you know, there was some great interplay between their forwards and backs and they really were competitive at a lot of points in this game, I think it's going to be quite difficult for them to to really keep it close in, in Forsyth Bar because I think the All Blacks will be really determined to turn this turn this performance around, even though they got the win. Yeah, and we've seen the the All Blacks have already named their 23 for the weekend, um, retaining the full, the tight five that they've had the last two tests, the full Crusaders pack, um, with Shannon Frizzell coming in at six and Artie Savia getting a start at ten uh, at seven. Um, and then a brand new centers, a brand new centers. Um, Artie Savia at 10? Wow. <laughs> That's you know, what that, the funny thing is that would probably work. That's the scary. I would actually thing. love Artie's, to see that. So many skills he can like rub off. <laughs> he just, just run it too just, much himself. Though. It's his first receiver all day. <laughs> Charge it up and trip on everyone. Well, well, considering their center changing, they've suddenly got Sonny Bill in at twelve and Goodhue at thirteen. If you have Artie Severe at ten and Sonny Bill at twelve, oh my god! <laughs> It's like, oh, Paris, Paris darted off the rock. Oh, he's just been killed by Artie Samir. It's like, what a shame for Morgan Parra. He's no longer with us. Oh, God. Yeah. I think New Zealand, New Zealand's, it won't matter. These changes are, are not that dramatic. Like, a lot of these guys could easily start every week. So, I think someone like Goodhue would be interesting to see him at 13. But overall, um, it really seems as though... They're still taking this game quite seriously. I think Naholo Watt is on the other wing now instead of yeah. Ben Smith, and he's been shifted back to fullback. That's right. So I don't know if Geordie's on the on the bench at all. He is. Yeah, Geordie's on, he's the, on bench. the bench. I think we they're just of, giving him... We called this last week, but it, not quite why. The reasons why yeah. are a bit different. Yeah. I think he hasn't been... You know, he hasn't been at his best, but I think Geordie... Geordie back, yeah, no, not at his tries. best. Yeah, yeah, I know that. But I think still over the two games, I think he he was probably had a par performance for his standards. And, you know, they are lofty standards. But I think he's yet to find his best form. Um, and Ben Smith is just a freak. Like, every time yeah, he touches tr- the ball, his try was crazy. Mm. Yeah. Mm. He's just makes something out of nothing. So And Geordie Barrett can do that too. But Ben Smith still is more in that veteran mould and he doesn't tend to make those mistakes that Geordie can come up with at times. So I think the the All Blacks team will be very strong this week. I think the French hopefully will come out with a, a fair bit of intensity as well and be willing to chance their arm. But, you know, I can't really see any other result than an All Blacks victory and probably a convincing one. The yeah. bookies see it the same way. I think the, the All Blacks are paying a $1.02 or something to win, $1.03. So it's... Enough. It's a pretty grim reality for the French, but you know what? They should be proud of the, the way they've conducted themselves throughout these games. I think they they can still take a bit away for the, the Six Nations next year. Speaking of a grim reality, how do you think Eddie Jones is feeling about his team um, after that weekend's performance? Grim. Well, he's pulling knives out of his, backs at, his back as we speak, so <laughs> he was willingly admitted that, that, you know, Coaching is like this sometimes. You take the good with the bad. You know, people one day are just praising you the next. They're kind of stabbing you in the back. So he knows he's a very seasoned coach. He knows that if they turn around, you know, a a performance in this next game, if they come out and and win, then he'll probably be in a position to retain his job for now. But, Mm. you know, another loss. I think England's shifted down to sixth in the world rankings. Mm. They've down dramatically. South Africa are in the fifth. I think the Wallabies are in the fourth. And Wales has actually came, come into third now. So you can see 
how close some of those teams are week to week they're shifting around so that's that's interesting to see but England you know they're still I don't know I I still think they're a decent team they just need to make little adjustments and at the moment they're not quite willing to do that but at some point I think they'll be forced well Farrell at 10 yeah I think so I think a lot of people are calling for George Ford to get um, bumped at 10 because he's just not offering that much but again we saw a similar narrative in this game like Final scored 23-12. England scored two tries in the first 12 minutes. They came out again looking really strong, structured. And it almost felt like you were watching the same game again. Because then sort of South Africa sort of turned around and sort of hardened themselves, started holding onto the ball, starting to put a lot more pressure on England. And they just crumbled afterwards. South Africa, a lot more polished performance all round. Uh, They started to look really good and I think Andre Pollard is really cementing himself in that 10 role he's really sort of directing that field um, really well had a lot a much better game that a big big man like Dwayne Vermeulen come on had a big sort of run for that first try uh, ran straight through like three English players but after that it just seemed like England sort of lost a little bit of momentum lost a little bit of hope sort of put their heads down yeah, England, they, they, they really took it to the line early, and that's where those two tries came from. And and maybe that was because the South Africans were slightly more passive in defence initially, but once they started ramping up the pressure and were coming forward to meet the English, they, they lost that uh, opportunity. So then they had to play a little bit deeper, and they just didn't seem to get the penetration. Um, they, they actually, actually thought they looked... It was interesting when Cipriani came on. He was definitely sparking a few things, but... Maybe still a bit of an erratic kind of attacking player than what Eddie Jones is looking for. Um, and, yeah, I do agree that the South Africans looking much more like a group of 15, uh, even with, I think, de Klerk having a, a poor game relative to definitely the first game where he was one of the guys who really sparked them back into life. He, he wasn't so good this week. He was a little bit erratic as well, spraying his passes. It just didn't look like he was... Yeah, sort of well connected with his back line. Guys weren't really ready for the ball, maybe weren't expecting it, weren't in position, and, and he was still throwing these passes. And he was probably just trying to keep the tempo up, but maybe needed to read the rest of his team a bit better. Um, so yeah. I think South Africa definitely deserved, deserved this win. But what really let England slip away out of the game was some really dumb discipline. Like we've got guys like Vernapola and, and Hughes, the reserve, coming on who. Guy lying in the ruck and just tapping the ball out of the halfback's hands. And, well, it's like in the Wallabies card. game. It's just, just the the most stupid things. Like, there's so many cameras around. The the entire opposition team just start blowing up and pointing at you. There's no way you're going to get away with that. It's just blatant. So, um, they had, I think they had a couple in this game. I think Vunapolo was buried un, in the bottom of a ruck and just, and just sort of only really with the motion of his fingers tapped it out early and, and that was penalised but not um, not carded. And then Hughes was carded um, later on. It's just things like that. Etoje is trying to bring a lot of intensity and aggression, but he's probably a little bit loose too. So I'm sure he's mm. talking to them about controlling their aggression and, and saving their energy and just getting rid of those dumb mistakes because it just takes away any momentum and gets you offside with the ref. Yeah, I think, though, that they're born out of desperation in that things aren't going right for the team. And this is a team that's used to not getting success easily, but having success pretty frequently. And at the moment, they're just not having those sustained periods of success. They're having good starts to games, and then they're almost forgetting what they're good at. They're not able to have any sort of momentum and put pressure on South Africa. South Africa weren't, you know pristine in this game either but they did enough they were a smarter team they had better tactical kicking they didn't make as many silly errors and they weren't as bad with their discipline so i think england have a bit to work on we know that but there are there's still still those key players there that they can really build around like itoje is a great player has such a good work rate gets around the field does so many good things i think brad shield showed that he's capable of you know being a, a long-term option at number six. Yeah. Billy Vunapola, again, very strong. 
Um, and I think you really saw the difference when Hughes came on that he just wasn't as effective, even though he's probably a similar-sized guy. He just doesn't have the carries, the effectiveness in his carries as Vunapola does. Um, and they've lost Billy Vunapola for this coming game, so that's that's a big loss to England. Um, but for me, I've talked about it before, Ford probably needs to go. I think you need to bring Farrell into 10, be a lot more direct. Um, I'm not sure who you put at 12. I don't really know the squad well enough to say who should come in there. Um, Slade was pretty quiet as well at 13, but not sure, again, how many options they have. They could probably play Elliot Daly there at 13. He's played there before. Um, but I think, you know, guys like Johnny May, very impressive still. He's a good player. Um, Mike Brown, I'm still not sold on on the wing. I think his time might have come. They probably should move on from him. Um, but, yeah, look, there's some good young players there. This team is not completely broken, but it depends on their internal systems. You know, how much faith do the players now have in Eddie Jones? Like, I'm not sure we're really able to tell from the outside in, but at the moment, it could be a little bit dire there in that camp. Mm. Yeah, and I think... I'm not sure they do have anyone to put in at 12 because you need someone to straighten up that run. So I'm almost would be more of a be happier with them going and putting like someone like Cipriani in at 10 and giving sort of seeing how he goes with a bit more spark because he comes on, he looks quite good. Mm. It's just whether, I mean, if Cipriani has developed a little bit more as a player, I know he was pretty good at Wasps this year. Yeah. Um, we We have probably some, you know, a different opinion of Danny Cipriani because of his time at the Rebels and kind of the image that, that he had back in the day. But that was quite a long time ago. Um, and I think he's matured quite a bit. So you're right, Arch. I think he does offer a lot more of a dynamic kind of option at 10 than Ford does. Um, it's whether you kind of give up that level-headed tactical kicking, very kind of meticulous guy that Ford, Ford is. is boring. boring. Very boring. But this is a formula that's worked for England for a long, long time now. And for some reason, it's just come unhinged at the moment. It's whether you just dump that, say, look, they've worked us out. We need to move on. We need to be a bit more unpredictable in what we do. And you bring in someone like Cipriani and keep Farrell at 12. Because Farrell's a good player. And defensively, he's pretty good at 12 as well. So Mm. it's whether you want to disrupt the centers or, you know, it's just, it's a really hard one. And for the third game, I'm almost like, well, they've lost... They've lost two. I think now that the series is kind of done, it is probably... It's time to try you know, something. Eddie Jones has a bit of freedom to, to do something now. And perhaps it works, and then he looks like a bit of a genius for things going forward in terms of the, the autumn internationals in November, and he can kind of change things up again before the Six Nations because he only has a limited amount of games now that he can actually try some things. So interesting mm. to see what they do. And in saying that, like, their next game, this is versus South Africa, their first game of the Autumn Internationals is versus South Africa again. So they're going to have another couple of tough sort of matches coming through that they're going to have to see how they compare from um, this weekend up until sort of the end of the year. Wait, so that's four in a row they're going to have against South Africa? Yeah. With a gap. Yeah. That's pretty pretty unique. You don't see that very often. Um, I think South Africa, look... I wasn't sure about this team coming into this series. I, I was a little bit curious to some of the selections, but it seems to be coming together for them in a lot of ways. Um, we talked about it before with De Klerk and, and Willie LaRue, having kind of those more, I guess, smart players around some really strong, dynamic, fast players that can you know, have a lot of raw talent, but they need people guiding them around. Um, and when you don't have someone like Jesse Creel starting... I think LaRue and De Klerk and even Pollard are crucial in keeping control of that back line. Mm. The, the Fords as well, like there's so much so much kind of fluency in their play. Guys like Moster and um, Detoy, second roles like that, even Detoy's playing blindside. But, you know, having Moster, they're so quick around the field, good with their hands, um, and you combine that with a, a pretty dynamic front row as well. And you have a pretty potent forward pack. So really interesting to see the way that South Africa has changed a little bit. And they're playing more like the Lions, for example. They're playing yeah. a lot more of a you know, ball-through-the-hands game with everyone. Up-tempo, exactly. 
No, that's right. And they don't even have sort of their full strength sort of forward pack. You think about people like Lou Diaga, Eben Ebsabeth, and people are still missing from that forward pack. Uh, so they're, mm. they're, they're only going to get stronger. Be interesting to see how this compares to when they come into the rugby championship, um, whether they are quite as competitive or whether we see that this was maybe um, England not being quite prepared for this. Yeah, yeah, they will get a, give us a good idea of how England sit in the pecking order, um, because yeah, it seems like South Africa perhaps is almost overperforming in some ways. But yeah. you know, who knows? They they might just they're coached really well. They got Rassi Erasmus in there now. It's a different kind of strategy they got going, and it seems to be working. So, mm. and it's also breeding entertaining football, which we really like as well. Now, we were going to have a chat about Argentina, but I think we're going to lose one of our members. Leo, I think you're going to have to um, run away, are you, or you got some more time? No, I'm going to have to go, guys. I, um, I, heard, I heard the Argentines still weren't good enough. That's right, that's right. Going down again to... It's disappointing for the Southern Hemisphere, but I guess Australia so we, can hold up their end anyway. Should we get some picks in then? Yeah, let's Quickly. do some picks for next week then. Um, so we'll start off. We'll start off on Saturday morning. We have Argentina versus Scotland. Again, Scotland suffered a defeat to USA on the weekend that we'll cover briefly. Twenty-nine to thirty. That's hard because Scotland didn't have their best team against the USA. They definitely played a weaker team. Um, and at this strength, I would. Oh, I think. I think I'm going to go Argentina for this one. I think. I think that hopefully after a couple of losses, they'll they'll get their their team pulled back together, understand what Test Rugby is about and, and maybe capitalise on a slightly demoralised, albeit probably motivated Scotland. Yeah, I might go the other way. I think I think Scotland showed that they have a lot of talent in the Six Nations and I think with a more full-strength team, Argentina just don't seem to be able to get it together at the moment and Wales, I'm not saying is, you know, they've gone to third in the world now. They've obviously got talent. Um, but I think they're also another team that's overperforming. Scotland, for mine, should have the talent to beat Argentina. Um, but, yeah, I think we'll have to see the team sheets. I'm confident Scotland could, could actually get this done. Because whatever it is, they've just lost something from that, Huggy Warriors. I, I think Scotland as well, yeah. Hags just, um, the Pumas don't seem like they've quite got it together. Um, New Zealand versus France, that should be a pretty easy one. We all think um, All Blacks going to win that by 15 to 20. More. Yeah. More. Yeah. All right. So, but what about... Be bounce back performance. What about the Wallabies in Sydney at Allianz Stadium? Supposed to be sunny, even though it's raining in Sydney at the moment. Um, it's supposed to be a bit clear and sunny, so it should be good weather for rugby out there. Wallabies. We've seen everything Ireland's, all their, all their tricks and schemes. Now we just need to counter that in the third game and we're good. Yeah. I still think the Wallabies are the better team. Um Losing Ganya is, is a big one for me. Um, but I think now having this time together, I think we'll work out some of the deficiencies we had in that second game and, and really come out firing. Um, like Leo says, I think Ireland had... It was a bit of a perfect storm in that second game in terms of them controlling it. I don't think they'll we'll see that again. I think it'll be a lot more even. The bookies are backing Ireland, but I'm backing the Wallabies. Good to hear, boys. Good to hear. I will always back the Wallabies. And especially when I'm myself and Leo will both be at the game, we'll be cheering them on. That's sure to make a difference, I'm sure. Um, let's go to the final South African game against England. That's coming out of Cape Town. So the first game, not at altitude, which I guess suits England for once because they've been sort of camped out at Durban this whole tour for some unreally unknowing reason. Um, but will England be able to pull something together this in the final test no i'm gonna go i'm gonna sweep it just all three south africa don't think england will get it together yeah i think um i'm tempted to take south africa but i think england will bounce back i think eddie jones will ultimately get this team together and and probably playing like they have been at the start of games um i think england can still top the spring box. It probably will only be by three to five points, but I think they'll get there. I'm going to tip South Africa, but I think you're right, Toby. It'll be a lot more competitive game. Uh, I think I think in the end, Eddie Jones is a good coach. He's a person that can motivate players. He needs to get some time to get these guys back together, get a bit of belief back in that team because they've obviously had a bit of a hard run 
and that's the only way they're really going to be able to um, come out hard and actually maintain that momentum throughout 80 minutes. A few other the smaller games, um, Japan-Georgia. Japan suffered a loss last weekend to Italy in their second game. Yeah, I think Japan will be too strong for Georgia, a nation that's really developing well, but I think Japan probably would would have learnt from you know, a win and then a loss. I think they're quite a strong team, and I think they'll, at home, particularly in, in um, Japan, I think Georgia will struggle. So Japan to win this one. Japan for me as well, sticking with the Japanese, supporting our Super Rugby brothers. That's right. Amanaki Marthy had a try last week. Hopefully he gets another one. Let's go, Japan. And Fiji versus Tonga um, coming in on Saturday morning. And Semi Radradra made his debut last weekend in Fiji's victory over Georgia. Uh, I think Fiji, again, are going to be too strong. They've shown time and time again they're usually the strongest of those island nations. Um, they've got a few familiar faces with Radradra, as I said. And also, uh, oh God, I've forgotten his name. Waratahs 10 and Crusaders 10 that was around for a little while and plays for Fiji. Oh, no, no, no. Ben, ben Volavola. Volavola, he's playing at 10 as well. Um, be interested to see whether he's, he's been developing because he, he certainly wasn't <clears> quite on form before. But I'll still take Fiji over Tonga, I think. I'll yeah, take Fiji. Fiji. Nice. All right, we better let Leo head off. He's going to have to get to work. Thanks for staying a bit later with us this morning, mate. Boys, I'd much rather be here with you, but uh, got to pay the bills. I'll catch you later. Bye, mate. <laughs> Thanks again. All right, Toby, any any last thoughts, any other things we need to cover before we sign off today? Mate, I don't think so. I just, you know, I hope for the, the sake of rugby we get a good few games this next round. Um, I think, you know, New Zealand will bounce back. I think the Wallabies have the potential to really make a statement in this third game. And then it's always kind of fascinating seeing what South South Africa and England are doing. So, um, not to not to rule out what Wales has accomplished over these last three games. I think um, Argentina are in a little bit of a delicate position at the moment. They've had some success with Super Rugby, um, and you would have thought that that would translate into their international team because there's so many players that are kind of you know, matching up for both teams in the same positions, but that hasn't occurred. So big game for them against Scotland. Um, I'll have a look at the team sheets, but yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be quite a, quite an interesting game to look at. Um, so yeah, one more week to go and then we're back into super rugby, um, which I think again is going to be pretty fascinating from an Australian perspective. Um, what about you, Arch? Any thoughts? Look, I was having a bit of a think this week and it was while I was looking at this New Zealand-France sort of team and the way we've sort of said New Zealand quite haven't quite been performing, haven't quite been that tested by this team. And I do wonder whether that's going to give us a little bit of an edge getting to face New Zealand first up in the Rugby Championship um, slash Bledisloe game um, that's going to come up in the first game of the Rugby Championship. So... I'm sort of a little bit hopeful that hopefully we can get some momentum going from this last test versus Ireland. And I really think if we put together a solid performance, similar to how we played in that first test, and we put that up against New Zealand and we, we show that defensive prowess, I think we're going to be a real chance on knocking over the All Blacks um, at least once, maybe even tw- two times this year, and maybe claiming cha- the Rugby Championship, maybe even claiming the Blood is Low Black. Yeah, well, I think you're right. It does start from this weekend because it winning is kind of once we get that momentum in Australian rugby, we tend to tend to do pretty well. Yeah. This would lead into Super Rugby with with the Rebels and Tars hopefully making the finals there. So we just need to keep that momentum going, having the confidence in each of these players that look, we know how to win. We have confidence in our ability. We can beat any team in the world on their day. Um, New Zealand, of course, have been number one in the world for the last, say, 15 years. They're always going to be a tough task for any team. Um, it's great that we've got them in Sydney for the first rugby championship game um, because then, obviously, we go over to Eden Park, which is always a tough place to win, um, which we, yeah, I don't think we've done that for 30-odd years. So it's key that we start well in the rugby championship, but I, I think, yeah, it all starts here. 
So let's get behind them. I think it's a sellout at Sydney this weekend. It is, it is. Um, let's hope that the, the weather plays its part in this one and it finds up and is going to be a, a good hard track for the Wallabies to, to get some running rugby going on. That's it. That's what we want to see. Let's go, boys. Let's go, checkers, man. <laughs> You're funny, Arch. <laughs> All right. Look, man, I think checker check check still, I think he'll be really, really firing these guys up. There's There's quite a few guys as well that probably know they won't be playing finals in Super Rugby if they're not at the Tars and the Rebels. So this is going to be... Yeah, the real opportunity to to say, look, we want to be a part of that rugby championship squad. Um, leave nothing, you know, out there. Just 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 really get out there and just leave everything on the field. Guys like Caleb Timu, um, he needs to make a statement in this one. You know, I'm sure if BPA gets another chance, he'll really be fired up as well. So there's a lot of guys um, with great opportunities here, and and I really want to see them step up. That's right. I want to see a lot of boys step up, high intensity, big physical hits. I want to see a little bit of grittiness, a little bit of grunt, and I really want us to stop that Irish machine sort of moving forward um, and claim our spot back from Wales, at least at number three. I'd prefer to see us up at number two. I think we are the second best team in the world when it comes down to it. Yeah, I agree too. I think South Africa are going to be challenging this year. Um, but with England sliding down the rankings, Ireland, you know, still haven't quite convinced me that they're up to the standard of Southern Hemisphere rugby. I think that they're they're getting closer and closer. But like you said, we need to stop that momentum right now. Exactly, exactly. All right, we'll leave it there for this week. We'll be back just to uh, have a look at these games next week, have, have a chat about a Wallaby series victory, and we'll obviously be getting back into Super Rugby styles then. Um, looking ahead at those last couple of weeks of the regular season before playoffs. Uh, From all of us, Leo, Toby and myself, thanks for tuning in again. Remember to follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast or on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. And again, get on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us. Like us, leave us a review, guys. As for now, boys, get along to the game this Saturday. Put on some gold or get somewhere and watch it on TV. Celebrate it, yell loud, give the boys all of your support, and we'll see those wallabies keep on running. Run. Frozen, Frozen boy. Really? When my heart's not open. Am I still frozen? Can you hear me at all? No? <laughs> yeah, we yeah, can hear you now. Uh... Oh, you're frozen.